the Bible Study Podcast, episode 203. Today, the Bible Study Podcast continues the study of newness, talking about a new covenant. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. As those of you who've been listening know, we've been studying newness as a theme in the Bible. And my contention is that the Bible starts with creation, ends with recreation, that all in the middle is having to do with newness, or at least quite a lot of it. It's a major theme in the Bible. Now, when we talk about the New Covenant, you probably remember the Old Covenant. It was covered by Cecil B. DeMille in the movie The Ten Commandments. God leads the people of Israel out of Egypt, leads them to Mount Sinai, and then says to them, I'm going to form a covenant with you. You will be my people. I will be your God. And then gives them the Ten Commandments as well as the rest of the law. You may also remember that before they even got all of the law, they managed to break the first and most important commandment of, I will be your God and you will have no other gods before me and start worshiping a golden calf. And so even in the Old Testament, there was the sense of a need for a new covenant, something that wasn't as tarnished as it was with the Old Covenant. And certainly all of the prophets are dealing with the fact that God's people have broken the covenant with him. In fact, the reason to send a prophet in general, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a prophet in the Old Testament whose job is to say, boy, you're doing a great job, keep it up. In fact, all of the prophets seem to be coming to say, you forgot me, you put other gods before me, you need to turn back now. And so we find, for instance, in the prophet Jeremiah, these verses from chapter 31. This is verses 31 through 34. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. So we should put this in the context of Jeremiah, Jeremiah not being a particularly happy prophet because of all the things that were going on around him at the time. The people of Israel really had given up on God, and so he has sent to give them a lot of harsh words, and in and amongst those harsh words, we have this section here from chapter 31. The days are coming, he's saying, when I'll make a new covenant. So things will be better again. And the big difference, he says, between the old covenant and the new covenant is that you'll remember this one, that you'll follow this one. There was nothing wrong with the original covenant from God's side, except that we broke it. And that's the real need for the new covenant. Now, of course, part of the reason that we broke it is that the new covenant called for us to be perfect, and we weren't, and we aren't. And so we'll look at some of what the New Testament has to say about a new covenant. But let's look first here at Jeremiah, not getting ahead of ourselves. One of the things that's interesting to understand about this is when he says, I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, that the 
analogy that is used for this covenant between God and his people is the marriage covenant. The marriage covenant, which is an exclusive relationship. The marriage covenant, which says we will bind ourselves together with promises. And so this is the analogy that is used often in the Bible for the relationship between God and his people is that we are, even in the New Testament, as a church, the bride of Christ. And that this is the analogy that is used also in the Old Testament prophets. This is when the prophet Hosea, for instance, is told to marry a prostitute as Israel has prostituted itself with other gods, specifically with the gods of the Philistines, the gods of the Canaanites, the Baal and the Asherah. And then it says, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. We already talked about the need for new hearts and new minds in earlier episodes of this podcast on this particular theme. And I think that's reflected here also, that the law of God or the understanding of what pleases God, again, if we use the marriage analogy, is if I want to have a good marriage, it is useful for me to understand what pleases my wife. It is useful for me to understand what things really irritate her. Now, I won't claim that I always do the one versus the other, but it at least is a good starting point for me to care what pleases her and to have a good relationship, a good friendship, or in this case, a good covenant relationship with God. It is important that we understand and that we care about, that we understand with our minds and that we care about with our hearts what things please God. And if we look at the relationship between God and his people, between the church and God, between us and God, as being a caring relationship, then we can see why it is important that that new law be written on our hearts and on our minds, something that we understand, we know, and we care about. I will be my God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. And he says, I will forgive their wickedness and they will remember their sins no more. Remember that this promise is made to a people who have already demonstrated to God that they are not trustworthy. They, they are covenant breakers. They have demonstrated this to God generation after generation after generation by this time. They've demonstrated this to God in the time of Moses, in the time of Joshua, in the time of the judges, in the time of the kings. And finally here, we're coming to the end of all of those times, and they still are a stubborn people, as we are. They still don't put God first, as he asks to be, when he says that I will be your God and you will be my people. But God is still willing to do this. This is not like going to the marriage of a young couple who are fresh out of college and wide-eyed and optimistic and just completely naive in terms of what they're getting into. This is like a ceremony I had an opportunity, a rare and beautiful opportunity to go to for some friends whose marriage for all intents and purposes had broken up. They had been apart for five years and they got back together again. And that was the most beautiful wedding I have ever been to. Because these were two people who understood what a promise was and understood that promises had been broken and still cared enough to make those promises over fully intending 
to live them out faithfully till death did they part. And unfortunately, because of an untimely death, I happen to know that they did live those out until they were parted by death. But that was the most beautiful wedding I've ever been to because there was a level of reality that was there. There was a level of knowing what you're getting into that was there that I have never been, never seen at any other wedding before. That is what this is like. This is God saying, I know you. I know your unfaithfulness. I know your shortcomings, you as a people, and I still love you. I still want to have a covenant, a relationship of promises between you and I. Now, this same theme comes up in the New Testament, and probably the most obvious place is Hebrews 8. Hebrews 8 quotes all of that section we were reading from Jeremiah 31, but first it prefaces it this way. Now, the main point of what I'm saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, so it was necessary for this one to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law, who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, and at this point, the writer of Hebrews quotes all of Jeremiah 31 for that section that we read, and then ends with, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. This is a section of the letter to Hebrews, which is talking about the way things were before, the law and the priests and all of that, and relating that to Jesus and this new covenant that has been made. And he gives here the analogy here that in the old covenant, things were set up, priests and offerings and tabernacles and all of those things which he says were a shadow of what was in heaven. They were looking forward to something that they did not see. So Moses was given very exacting instructions for how to build the tabernacle, it says here, because it was a copy. It was a looking at a model of what was in heaven, the true tabernacle, the place where God dwells. And how Moses needed to be very careful because he was copying something that was even more important. And that how all of those priests and all of those sacrifices weren't able to keep Israel without sin. All of those animals that died, the blood that was shed was a type of offering, but the final true offering and the final true priest is Jesus. In that Jesus, who was himself without sin, taking our place was necessary to absolve us of sin. 
and that none could offer him except for he himself, as he gave himself up as a sacrifice. And therefore he is both priest and sacrifice in establishing this new covenant. And many of you know those words because you'll recognize them in this form from 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also passed to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you do it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is in a section where Paul is talking about communion or Eucharist or the breaking of bread together, the holy meal, whatever term you use, if you belong to a church that does this on a regular basis. I happen to be in one of those churches. And this is something that we were told to continue to do in remembrance of the sacrifice that Jesus gave. And Jesus said, called this cup of his blood, this cup of wine that is symbolizing the blood of Jesus, is a cup of the new covenant in my blood. This sacrifice that he has that establishes that second covenant, that new covenant, a promised relationship that binds us to God, where God, as in Jeremiah, looks at us and says, I know you, I know your weaknesses, I know you're not perfect, but I'm covering all of that with the blood of Jesus because I love you. With that, we're going to end this episode of the Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions, feel free to leave a comment at thebiblestudypodcast.com or drop me an email to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Chris2x. And as always, thanks so much for listening. In a recent survey, parents reported that 52% of homeschooled children need learning accommodations. These parents need practical advice, encouragement, and hope to fuel their homeschooling efforts. The Empowering Homeschool Conversations podcast is where parents gain wisdom on how to teach unique learners successfully at home, like Laura, who recently told us, I needed this episode. I don't need a fancy curriculum or need to be a special ed teacher to teach my son. You have given me hope. To listen now, go to Life Audio or search Empowering Homeschool Conversations on your favorite podcast app.